This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Tricia Gorham, Chair of the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. Those of us who live with animals tend to have a huge soft spot for veterinary technicians. If you've ever taken your pet to the veterinarian, surely you've been assisted by a very kind man or woman in scrubs who might enter the examination room ahead of the vet or at the same time. This, of course, is a veterinary technician or vet tech. I invited Gorham on the show to discuss various aspects of working as a vet tech, the scope of the training one undergoes, what the parameters of the job are, for, for instance, which procedures they are permitted and not permitted to do, and so on. Gorham has been teaching at St. Petersburg College since 1996 and has been a practicing vet tech since 1991. So an ideal person to discuss the whole realm of being a vet tech, which we'll do in a moment when I speak with Trisha Gorham in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. As a quick aside, I want to call your attention to a brand new New York Times piece just posted uh, an hour or so ago about the return of the Ringling Brothers Circus, but, and this is the key thing, with no animals. So check that out if you have a chance. It's online now. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Spencer Conover, the Assistant Director of Pasco County Animal Services, who will fill us in on these drive-through vaccine and chip events they've been holding monthly, where you pull up in your car with your pets and they get vaccinated and chipped at no charge. May's event is already fully committed, but we'll hear the details of this extravaganza scheduled for June 25th in Dade City, so you can uh, get a jump on getting them. Um, Register for that if you'd like to do that. So more on this special opportunity later in today's show. Meanwhile, a couple of programming notes. First, I want to offer an important heads up. WNF Summer Fun Drive is just around the corner. So if you enjoy talking animals, if you found the show educational, illuminating, entertaining, or any combination thereof perhaps, please help us get a jump in a traditionally tough time for fundraising by donating now by hitting the Talking Animals tip jar. And to do that, you just go to WMNF.org. Find Talking Animals in the broadcast schedule. Then on the Talking Animals page, just go up and look for the tip jar and just click that. And any contribution of any amount will be greatly appreciated just to give us, uh, again, uh, sort of a running head start at the raising money for the WNF fund drive, which is so critical to the operation of the station. Second, later in today's show, I'll be offering tickets to tonight's show featuring Lainey Jones at Hooch and Hive. Lainey is a... Uh, She's a great singer-songwriter and has a terrific new album coming out just this week. Uh, technically, I think on Friday, Stories Up High. And this show tonight at Hooch and Hive is sort of an album release uh, party and a celebration of a sense. She was also a guest on last week's Talking Animals discussing growing up amidst kangaroos, wallabies, and other exotic critters. So check out uh, Lainey Jones if you can. And again, later in the show, we'll be offering a pair of tickets to her show at Hooch and Hive right here in Tampa. Right now, though, let's talk vet techs with Trisha Gorham with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, texting 813-433-0885. This is Trisha Gorham on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Trisha. Good morning, Duncan. Good morning, Duncan. Good morning, Duncan. 
Good morning. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So I certainly want to spend time, of course, on the training of vet techs and what all goes on in, in the veterinary technology program at, at St. Petersburg College that you uh, kind of lead and more. But first, let's talk a little bit about you and, and your own history, especially as it relates to these kinds of topics. So how important were animals to you when you were, uh, when you were a kid? Oh, animals were always part of my life growing up. Um, I rode horses from the time I was eight years old. So we always had dogs, cats running through the barns and in, in the house and things like that. And then I, I just, my love for animals just continued to grow. So I actually, through high school, thought I was going to vet school. Mm-hmm. And once I graduated from high school and realized I started working for a veterinarian in high school, I was their kennel technician. And then I, um, started moving up, changed practices, and got a little more responsibility and realized that really my passion was the nursing care of the animals and not necessarily wanting to spend the time to go to vet school um, where I didn't have as much hands-on day-to-day encounters with the animals. So mm. I found uh, the vet tech program at St. College, which is where I graduated from. Yeah. Um, and then that's where my passion stayed. I really never had an interest to continue on to vet school because I just love the day-to-day hands-on working with the animals. Yeah, well, one thing you said that, that I was going to get into later, and we'll, and we'll probably circle back to it, but but the um, sort of comparison to vet tech, sort of the nursing side of veterinary care uh, is interesting, and, and we'll explore that maybe a little bit more in a moment. Right. But I'm wondering if, if along those early years, those high school years or just formative years, um, was there anything... Uh, beyond your obvious love of animals and riding horses and having cats and dogs kind of running around. But was there anything specific that happened medically, either with a family pet or another animal that just you were in you know, frequent contact with, that, that you think may have triggered a desire to care for, for animals in the way that you obviously have such, even now, such a passion for? I don't think there was a, a set trigger, um, just because animals were always involved in my day-to-day life. When I was yeah. in high school, I actually enrolled in... Um, back then, it was a large animal course in our local high school. It was at Seminole High School. Um, now, it's actually a full vet assisting program that students can take in the Pinellas County School System, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so that gave me more experience, and that's what actually put me into the clinical site because we were re- required to do hours in a local veterinary hospital. So, um, and just being able to experience what happens day to day in that veterinary hospital is what made me, because I started as a junior in high school working for a veterinary hospital. Yeah. So, and I worked with the technicians there. Many of them were involved with St. P. College. So I had a, a good knowledge of what I was getting into. And, and that's really where my passion laid. So yeah. I just continued on that path. And it sounds like kind of every step of the way, uh, you've, you loved it and you had this passion and it, and it sounds right. like every, like from just sort of wandering around, you know, again, as a teenager, but having this opportunity all the way up till today as we speak, that you, that passion and, and the love for, for the work and obviously for the animals that, under, you know, underscores that. Uh, I had is, a strong background in science. You know, I was really good at science. I liked and enjoyed my science classes. Okay. So, um, you know, that led me more toward this path as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, yeah, so really it sounds like uh, it really has never wavered for for these, you know, 30-plus years, I guess. Right. It actually hasn't. So, you know, 30 years, I sound old, but, you know, that's a long time to be in one profession without any 
never once an inkling to change professions. Never yeah. Once. Well, that's funny because I was even going to ask you, uh, like when you've had a bad day, like losing a patient or seeing yeah. intense grief amongst a family that has to make that tough decision in the in the room or, or you know, at their home these days, I guess, too. But um, how often have you considered, you know, I love this overall, but uh, this 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 is kind of getting to me, or this is just you know uh, too many it, days like this. Yeah, it's definitely a problem in veterinary medicine overall that we have. It's a high stress profession. Um, actually, veterinary medicine has high one of the highest suicide rates. So, mental health is really really important topic in our profession that yeah. we have to talk about, and we have to really have a good support system. So I did step away from clinic life for a while, and that's how I found the education route. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I stepped back into, you know, I've gone back and forth with working in a practice over the years. I worked for the first 20 years of my profession in, in the veterinary hospital, 12 just in the veterinary hospital, and then I started transitioning into education. And then when I now, even though I'm running this program, I try to step into the clinic as much as I can or get hands-on with those animals as much as I can at the school. Yeah. So, um, But you, it's really important to have a strong support system to, to stay positive in this profession because we can have bad days, but we have to know that our bad days, we're helping to support that patient and we're helping to support that family get through it. And I imagine one of the things that, that uh, spending this many years in it, and maybe even this is the... Uh, techniques or, or other uh, things that would be helpful or maybe even taught in, in the program that you that you guide is, you know, how to not let those days and those, you know, especially those particularly sad days get to you where you just say, well, you know, of course it's sad and it's upsetting, but I can't be, you know, thrown off target by this. I can't be wobbling and, and unsure of myself just because I'm you know, I saw that what this happened yesterday and at 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 the, at the office. So I guess you just probably have to come up with, like you say, maybe sort of coping mechanisms or other techniques that help you sort of get through. Those. Especially when you start to string a few of those together, I would think if you right. didn't have those things, it, at least a lot of us would be like, "Oh my God, I don't, I don't know if yeah. I can carry on." You know? Right. We do. We have those days for sure, and we really stress with the students as they're coming up through their program. Um, different resources that they have for mental health, resources to make sure that they're supporting each other within the practices. Yeah. Um, and that they have downtime and that they have family time and they have they can step away from the profession at times if they need. Yeah. So um, it's really important. But they have to always go back to the fact that they're doing the what they can to support those animals and those families of those animals. Right. Yeah. I guess that as long as that's kind of the prevailing thing that kind of guides you through the various ups and downs, you know, you're, you're doing good work, you're helping the animals, you're helping the humans that, that go with those animals. Right. And if it's right. not a great day, tomorrow might be a much better day and still you're, right. you're in the plus column. So, right. yeah. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Tricia Gorham, chair of the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. We're discussing uh, a bit about her background, but also she's been a practicing veterinary technician since 1991, by the way. And the training provided to aspiring vet techs, what the job entails, and so on. If you'd like to ask Trisha a question or offer a comment about working as a vet tech or learning to become one or any other aspect of that, feel free to call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So 
Let's talk, I mean, you've kind of alluded to these already a little bit. Let's talk about the ways someone can become a vet tech. I mean, is it strictly these days by educational programs and training? In other words, like, can someone, like, you, you start off, you said when you were in high school, working at a, at a vet's office, and I know a lot of people have done that, but can someone become a vet tech by dint of that experience, um, helping out X amount of years, let's say, in a vet's office, or is it still require a degree or some kind of uh, official educational training to, to reach the vet tech level? So that's a really interesting question. So um, different states regulate veterinary technicians different ways. So the recommended path is through education. Mm-hmm. So across the country, there's 222 AVMA accredited programs. So the, uh, the Association of Veterinary Medical the American Veterinary Medical Association accredits veterinary technology programs so that they ensure that they're held to the highest standards and that students across the country and in Canada are getting the same educational process. So there's 222 of those programs. Mm -hmm. They're campus-based and distance-based. So students, there's 10 distance programs. So students can complete the program completely online if they have an affiliation with a veterinary hospital. And their programs are either two years or four years or a combination of both like ours. Our students can do a two-year program and then advance into our four-year bachelor's degree program. Or, sorry, I was just going to say, so let's say that they complete the two years. Do some students uh, stop at that point and say, hey, I I love the work. I want to get started. Um, You know, sure, maybe I'll come back later and get two more years. Or how, how does that work with, with, it sounds like there's kind of a clear demarcation between the two-year and the four-year. Yeah, there, in, in our program, we have a really flexible program. So our students complete the two-year AS degree program first. That mm-hmm. enables them to sit for the national exam. And the national exam is a high-stakes national exam. It's very difficult. Um, it's peer-reviewed. It's, it's got data based on it. So it's a very difficult exam that students take. So that allows them to be credentialed. That's called the Vet Tech National Exam. That allows them to be credentialed in any state across the country, um, including Florida. So that's the thing then, if someone says, hey, I'm a Vet Tech, that's the thing that says, well, okay, but did you take the exam or are you a credentialed Vet Tech? That's the question that pet owners need to be asking. Because in Florida, for example, there is no required credentialing process for veterinary technicians. So in Florida, currently, anyone can call themselves a vet tech, and they do not have to have any kind of education backing that. So um, that's what Florida Vet Tech Association is working hard to change. We would like regulation in the state so that pet owners are protected and know that the people that are caring for those pets do have that minimum of a two-year education. Yeah. You have to remember that part of our scope of practice is they're, mo- they're inducing anesthesia, they're monitoring anesthesia, they're performing dental procedures, um, they're doing the hands-on day-to-day nursing care for critical patients. So you want the person that's caring for your pet to have that background education. Yeah. If they have a bachelor's degree, that's great as well because they're continuing their education and getting a more in-depth based knowledge. So is that, um, Tricia, the, the, the question you just raised but seems like a super important issue, but I'm trying to sort of sort out, would that be something that would be more at the veterinary office or veterinary hospital level, like who they hire 
And they, at that point, if if they're hiring someone that is credentialed, then then you know you've got the right vet tech. But is it? But is it really up to the the human uh, patient or client to establish whether that vet tech that comes in the exam room, you know, as part of getting their right. dog or cat seen? I mean, it just seems weird that 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 would be the responsibility of the human as opposed to the clinic or the hospital or the vet office that's um, you know, that that's hiring those people. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky situation in the state of Florida. Now, across the country, there's only 11 states that do not require um, credentialing at a state level. So the Board of Veterinary Medicine in all but 11 states credential those veterinary technicians. So they're absolutely required to have a degree, and they're required to have a passing score on that national exam. Yeah. Uh, six of those 11 states are in the process of having that done. So... Um, Florida is currently not one of them. Hmm. We are looking to pass that so that pet owners are protected. But what we hope is that veterinary hospitals are hiring credentialed veterinary technicians. So those those people that have completed their two-year degree have passed that national exam so that they know they're getting high-quality employees. Yeah. And that the pet owners know what they're getting as well. Um, they're not required to hire certified veterinary technicians, though. So as the pet owner, that's something on your first visit to the veterinarian or now that you, you're you learning more about this, you yeah. can go to your veterinarian and say, hey, are you hiring certified veterinary technicians or who's caring for my pet? Yeah. Is that a credentialed veterinary technician? Yeah, it's so interesting because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I and I'm sure, you know, most other people with animals at home uh, – you know, love vet techs. See, and, and I just, you know, I guess I, I never, this this is really good because, I mean, it just never occurred to me. I mean, these people are always super nice. Obviously, love animals. They're, they're kind people. They're, you know, sharp, usually helpful. So it just would never occur to me to, to think, hey, but I wonder what kind of, if they're credentialed or I wonder what the level of education they have. They're, they're a vet tech. They're called a vet tech. So again, that's one one of the great things about having you on to talk about this today is, you know, you you have to think about things differently, uh, especially when it sounds like Florida, uh, once again, um, is maybe a little bit behind on on you know setting a standard that's consistent. Right, and you know we like to equate it to the human profession sometimes because it helps the public understand more of what our role is. Yeah, you equate. Really, what a veterinary technician does combines all of the healthcare fields in human medicine into one person, and then we're covering multiple species. So you take a human nurse, you take a dental hygienist, you take a physical therapist, you take a radiology technician. All of those, um, all of those jobs are incorporated into a veterinary technician. So think about you going to a dental hygienist or you going to a nurse. Do you expect that those people are educated? And the answer is yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so do you want to take your four-legged family member or two-legged family member or no legs? You know, we do snakes as well. Yeah. So do you want to take them to somebody who also hasn't passed a national exam and does not have a degree behind their name to have all of the background knowledge that they should have to monitor your animal's anesthesia when they're going in for a dental procedure? Yeah, it's such a good point because... Now, maybe I'm just more dopey than, than most people, but, but as you draw those equivalents, I'm thinking if I went to a doctor's job, especially like it was a specialist or somebody I hadn't been to before, and a nurse came in, it would never occur to me to think, 
I wonder if she's an RN or I wonder if she's an actual, you know, nurse with the proper credentials. I, I just, I guess I would make that it's assumption. Yeah, right. and if I went to a dentist that I hadn't been to before and somebody was coming in to clean my teeth, I would assume they were, you know, proper uh, credentialed dental hygienist. So it right. just, and yeah, so it's, it's odd to think of, like, asking those people. So, so far, it just feels unusual, but it, you're raising super important points about asking, you know, in the veterinary realm that maybe you should. Right. Um, and, and the public does assume that the, the technicians that are taking care of their animals are credentialed and are educated. And that's just not the case um, in Florida and some of those other states Yeah, that are not requiring credentialing. That's yeah. It's just so interesting because if I found out that they weren't, I'd be disappointed. But my beef, I think, other than maybe now that, that you've explained this, now, if I don't do my own due diligence, I guess I sort of get what I what I deserve. But otherwise, I would have said my beef would be with the veterinarian that owns that practice or that runs that practice or whatever. Because shouldn't I be able to count on them hiring someone that does have the proper training and credential? Well, or supporting their staff that would like to go back to tech school. There are te- there are eight tech schools in the state of Florida. Yeah. So what we hope is that as we're moving along and the profession is growing is that the veterinarians that do have some really fabulous support staff that would like to get an education, that those clinical sites will support them to go back to school. St. Pete College is the largest in the state, but there are several other colleges in the state as well. So yeah. um, there's definitely opportunity. There's 222 across the nation. So not just in Florida, but in other states, um, you know, Access to education is affordable and it's accessible. So- yeah, so that's the thing. So really, uh, in Florida and elsewhere, there's no real reason to have a vet tech that doesn't have at least the fundamental credential that you're talking about just because there's so many opportunities to get that credential. Right, and especially uh, across the nation where maybe there's not uh, a campus-based program because we ha- now have 10 distance programs, St. Pete College being the first distance program in the country, um, is if those people are working in a veterinary hospital, that's the ideal student for a distance-based program because they have that clinical support. They have those veterinarians that are supporting them and other yeah. staff that support them to go back to school and get their degree. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, so, sort of just the idea of becoming a, a vet tech or getting the training. So let's say a person like me, except you know much younger, loves animals thinks I'd like to work with them. And so how would I get started at the College of Veterinary Technology? What would be my very first steps? So the first step is to apply to the college. Mm-hmm. So um, St. Pete College has 11 campuses, 11 centers, and um, you would take your general education courses first. So that's the basic AS level, you know, composition, a college level math, and natural science. Um, those kind of general education courses. Okay. Once they're near completion of their general education courses, then they would apply to the program. Now, to apply to our program, we require that they have observed in a veterinary hospital for 40 hours. So we want our students to be fully aware of what they're getting themselves into, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, everyone wants to come and be a vet tech because they love animals, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. So we want them to have that experience of seeing what a veterinary technician does on a day-to-day basis so that they know what they're getting into before they enter the program. The vet tech programs are intensive programs. They're very similar to nursing programs. Yeah. But again, we're covering multiple species of 
of animals. So they're learning, you know, dogs and cats is the primary learning that they do, but they have to do horses and cows and exotics and birds and then lab animals as well. So there's lots of different coursework that they have to do. Yeah. To complete their education. So I'm going to take a, a call in one sec, but I'm just curious, what have you guys found that over the course of that required 40 hours, what what percentage of people uh, at somewhere along the line after seeing kind of what, what's involved over the course of those 40 hours say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me? I actually think it's a small percentage. Yeah, okay. I, I think they do understand more fully what their educational process is going to look like. I think they... I don't think the 40 hours dissuades them or doesn't dissuade very many. Yeah. It does give them more of a broader picture of what their educational process is going to look like. Right. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily even thinking the 40 hours itself would be discouraging, but just some of the things they saw over the course of those 40 hours, especially if if they, you know, kind of went in a little bit wide-eyed about, like, what's involved, and they're like, oh, my right. God, this is this is way more serious and way more, you know. Right, uh, and we expect them to observe surgical procedures. You know, they may see a euthanasia while they're in their 40 hours. Yeah. So, you know, it just gives them a better understanding. For sure. But uh, it makes sense that, that would be a requirement. That seems like it's uh, crucial to have people be fully aware of what they're stepping into or what they're trying to step into. Let's take that caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Trisha Gorham. Hi, sorry, go ahead. We missed you at the beginning. Go ahead. Yeah, I look here. I got a turtle. I'm wondering if there's anybody there can tell me how you can tell how old they are. <laughs> You're getting into a realm of where I'm not super familiar, um, but there's there are exotic, especially veterinarians, that would be able to help help age those turtles. Yeah, well, he's a hundred pounds, about a foot and a half, two foot long, big old guy. Followed me around like a little puppy, but uh, I was just wondering, like he seemed to be very wise, probably a hundred ninety or a hundred years old. But I I don't know how to tell. That's why I called talking animals. All right, well, and just out of curiosity, are you concerned that there's something wrong with the turtle and that's why you're trying to assess, like, what kind of age the turtle might, might be at? Well, you know, like people, I guess whenever they get over a certain age, they start slowing down, so it's hard to tell if he's lethargic. But he likes to warm up in the sunshine, follow me around. He loves lettuce, he loves grapes, he loves peaches, <laughs> he loves plums, you know, everything, bananas. You name it. Sounds like he's doing pretty well to me. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's all right. I just wondered how old he is. I yeah. Well, how how long have you known him? Oh, I've had him for years. And years. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. So far, so good, I'd say. I, I, I just don't know that we're going to be in a position to answer you over the over the, the radio. Right, but Okay, uh, listen, I'm used to an uncertain world, so y'all take care. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Okay, so Tricia, um, got one of our emailers. We've got another caller that I think we'll get to in a moment. But uh, one of our emailers says, does your guest find that more women apply to be vet techs? Um, also, yeah. this way, there's one other question I can't quite. Okay. Also, are vet techs trained to spot a use? I, I think there must be a typo there, so not quite sure. But let's at least go to question number one. Uh, are, are there more women applying to be vet techs? There definitely are. Um, we are a female-dominated field. We do have a, a fair share. About 10% of our program is male. Hmm. So, um, And then if you, if you think of the veterinary profession in general, vet school used to be predominantly 
males. And now if you look at the incoming class at, say, the University of Florida, that's 90% female as well. So yeah. it is a female-dominated profession. But we do have our fair share of men, and <laughs> we support them as best we can. Yeah. So. And and have, have you seen over your 30-plus years in the field, have you seen one or both elements, both the veterinarian side and the vet tech side, a shift in, in, the, in the gender uh, ratio? The, the vet tech side has always been pretty much female-dominated. The okay. veterinary side is definitely changing for sure. Um, when I started in the profession, most of the veterinarians in this area were male, and now it's definitely switched completely to the other side where it's, it's definitely female-dominated, as well as the vet schools, and that's across the nation. Yeah. Okay, so I got an update on the second question, uh, which is interesting, and I think uh, I'd like to ask you to respond to this. It says, also, are vet techs trained to spot abuse? They, um, they are. You know, we have classes where we talk about that. We talk about how to handle questions like that. We give them resources on where they can go for support on those kinds of things. So um, we do work, we work very closely with animal services. They're yeah. actually located right next to our facility. So we bring them in for conversations like that as well. So okay, cool. unfortunately, we do see that in our profession. Yeah. Um, one of our graduates is running a, a rescue in Tampa, and she unfortunately sees quite a bit of that. So, mm. um, but they are trained for that. That's good. So they, they know what to do once they spot it. They know how to help. Both the animal, obviously, but also the human that's whatever, whatever issues may be going on at home or elsewhere. Okay, let's take another caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Trisha Gorham. Uh, yes, this is Kirsten. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm good, but I have um, a, a very strange feeling about this vet uh, 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 take. About the veterinary uh, technicians? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's so absurd, you know. To me, it's really absurd. They're in the uh, uh, veterinarian office, and there is a sufficient amount of veterinarians to teach them and monitor them how to do things. And now, it's one way to circulate money from the people who work 40, 50, 60 hours sometimes, just to make the ends meet. And then they want them to go to school for two or three years to become a technician. That is so absurd. To me, it's really absurd. This is a passionate work that they do, and they have to go to college to become passionate. That is so absurd. Okay, well, uh, I'll allow Trisha to respond. I'm just going to say, I'm not sure where the absurd part comes in. We're talking about I'm medical sure. treatment. Like it, the lady was mentioning something about, oh, they have to learn uh, how to be compassionate. Are you kidding me? Well, I, I, I'm not sure about that, but, but I think the fundamental thing that she has emphasized and drawn parallels to other professions, uh, dentistry, uh, medical profession, et cetera, well, is you want training. The division of the medical field is so expendable. Uh -huh. and it is so capitalized. Okay. And to the point where it's like, oh, okay, now we have to have the veterinarian technician, the compassionate one. To go well, okay, I, I don't remember her saying that, but here's the thing. I would think people wouldn't go into that field if they weren't inherently compassionate to begin with, but I could be wrong. Exactly. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow Tricia to respond, and then we're going to move along, sir. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Right, so our students are compassionate when they come to us. That's not something we have to teach them. These, this profession just lends itself to compassionate people. So 
what we're adding to those compassionate people is the medical background and the medical knowledge to support that nursing care and to support the medical procedures that are happening in the veterinary hospital. We can't teach compassion. They have to come to us with compassion. And I, all of our students come to us with that. So yeah. we're very fortunate in this profession that they do have that. Yeah, and if anything, I would think back to the uh, requiring the 40 hours of observation. I would think one of the things that's important about that, and probably there are several things, is that people who are super compassionate uh, and maybe maybe a little bit uh, sensitive, extra sensitive possibly, whatever, over the course of those 40 years, either, I mean those 40 uh, hours, either they say, wow, this is, this is uh, I don't know that I can do this day in and day out, or it's like, okay, right. this is upsetting at times, but I, this, is, this is my life's work, really, uh, it's meant to be, I love animals, and uh, so again, I would think that uh, compassion or not compassion, it's, it's important right. to have the kind of the eye-opening experience of what it's like every day. So um, let me ask you this, uh, Tricia. Um, so do all students at the College of Veterinary Technology take all the same classes? In other words, is there a set of core classes? Then at a certain point, some students may peel off because they aspire to work with, let's say, wildlife or maybe exotic animals or something else that's kind of more of a specialty. Yeah, no, they all take the same core classes. We offer different opportunities for those students that may want experience in different areas. So everyone takes the same core classes. The AVMA dictates our, our education and our okay. skill set that we teach the students. We do offer our students some different opportunities. We had a dolphin medicine course that students were able to take down in the Keys. We're working on an exotics animal course up at White Oak Conservation Center in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. We had... Um, Partnerships with Zoo Tampa, where students could go over there and do an internship and and as a veterinary technician. So the students have different opportunities if they want to specialize in different different areas of medicine and want to go a little bit deeper. We help to connect our students. We also run a study abroad program. We're actually getting ready to take a group of twenty students over to Zimbabwe wow. to work on um, some animals over in Zimbabwe, and we've done other study abroad. We've gone to Thailand to work with elephants, and we've done uh, numerous sea turtle ones down in Costa Rica and over in Australia. So students all have that opportunity. If they're enrolled with us, they are able to um, get on those trips and go with us abroad. Yeah, but it sounds like the point... put a little dent in that, but um, we're back on track. We leave in two weeks for Zimbabwe, so... Oh, that's great. And how long will you be there? We'll be there for two weeks. Nice. Very good. Again, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Tricia Gorham, chair of the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. We're discussing work as a vet tech and especially learning to become one. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So, Tricia, you often hear about veterinarians contending with, uh, like, basically crushing debt because of student loans from vet school, maybe other factors too. What are the financial implications for vet techs? Tell me about like the cost of tuition and let's say somebody was going to go on that Zimbabwe trip, like, you know, what that would maybe add to their uh, sort of budgetary needs and, and just are there scholarships, for example, and how, do, how does it all work? The college is fully um, able to accept financial aid. So any student that is able to get financial aid can use that for our program. We take Bright Futures. Um, We have lots of different scholarships throughout the college and in programs specific that students can apply for, and that will apply to the study abroad. But the great thing is, is that we are a community college. We're a state school, so um, we're pretty affordable. 
our credit hours are about $110 a credit hour. So to complete the whole program, including books, um, tuition, lab fees, and things like that, it's under $10,000 for that two-year degree. So they don't typically come out with a huge overbearing debt like yeah. they would if they went to vet school. Typically, the vet student comes out with 100000 to to a $200,000 debt yeah. when they graduate from vet school. And, you know, the pay range is not great in our profession. The people that are in our profession are not in there to make money. Um, veterinary technicians are about $40,000 a year. Veterinarians will start off at about sixty dollars to $80,000 a year, and that's a medical doctor um, that's gone through exact same training that a human doctor that goes through, and they make, you know, three figures when they come out of school. So, yeah. you know, these people are compassionate coming into the profession. They know they're not going to make a ton of money. They know they're going to work long hours. So these are the people you want to be working on your animals. Um, so... Yeah, they're they're clearly committed and they're in it for the for the right reasons because they're they're not uh, surely not making a, maybe a fortune and, compared to some right, other. And that's your whole veterinary staff from the front office staff to the the, the technicians assistants to the technicians to the doctors. So it's everybody in that veterinary hospital is a compassionate group of people for sure. And so, what other uh, just a little bit more on the salary part of it. Um, what other factors account for sort of salary bumps? I mean, obviously experience, I'm sure additional years in the profession, of course. But what else is there ad- additional or specialized training? Like, let's say uh, people have done uh, some program that you mentioned, like with exotic things or, or going to Zimbabwe right. or some other things. Are those things that, that accumulate where someone says, well, here's, here's how this would uh, bump your salary up from what you w- would Definitely. be? Definitely. Yeah. So once our AS students graduate, they can continue on to their bachelor's degree. The bachelor's degree gives them different opportunities. They could work beyond working in a small animal hospital, essentially. So they could be practice managers. They could be pharmaceutical sales rep- representatives. They could go to a zoo. Um, but beyond the bachelor's degree, there is vet tech specialties as well. And vet tech specialties will pay uh, about a $10 pay differential. So a vet tech making $20 an hour would then make $30 an hour if they specialized. And there's lots of areas of specialization. They could specialize in behavior. They could specialize in anesthesia. There's dental specialties. There's emergency and critical care. So, for example, your Blue Pearl, which is our veterinary, our, one of our local veterinary specialty hospitals, mm-hmm. um, they have several vet techs that are specialized in emergency and critical care. So, those guys have additional training, additional um, continuing education requirements. They've had to do case studies. They've had to sit for another exam to become a specialist in emergency or critical care. Yeah, um, Behavior specialist is the same. So they have to take an intensive additional exam to become specialized. So they do have a different pay scale. So veterinary technicians have the opportunity to make more money, um, but it's it's more work for them. So they would have to get their bachelor's degree or get a, a BTS in one of those fields. And so, so what, uh, what what percentage would you say of the people that pass through your program? Uh, stop with the two-year credential and say, okay, I'm good to go. I can start working now. That's what I want to do versus people who say, okay, this is, this is great, but I'm actually going to get the four-year degree and then kind of figure out what I'm going to do from there. I would say uh, 50% of them, I would say 75% of them initially stop. Mm -hmm. But then uh, 
they come back to the program or they go on to get their BTS or many of them do both. So, um, you know, they may work in the profession for a year or two, focus on taking that national exam and then go on and get their specialties. So you, I would say a large number of veterinary technicians now are coming back to get their bachelor's degree or going the vet tech specialty route because there is that pay differential. Um, because we are having, we're struggling with salaries in the profession. Yeah. Um, you know, we're struggling with keeping people in the profession because of the salaries and because of the lack of recognition by the state, honestly. So typically a veterinary technician will stay in, in the field about five years. So we're working hard to get that recognition by the state to get the state to regulate technicians so they have that recognition and they have that that understanding from the veterinarians of their skill level, and they are utilized properly as a veterinary technician. Some clinical clinics don't utilize their veterinary technicians as they should or as they're fully trained to be utilized. So, you know, they, veterinary technicians may struggle a little bit with their, their profession, and we want to keep moving this profession forward so that we keep these great people that are well-trained in this profession taking care of pets. Yeah. All right, we have a couple more callers. I'm not sure we have time for both, but we're going to take at least one right now. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Trisha Gorham. Hi, uh, great uh, episode. I uh, want to comment on the specialty uh, programs for veterinarian techs. Uh, I had a wonderful experience working at Lion Country Safari in West Palm Beach, and we had a wonderful set of lions, and one of the lions had developed a toothache, which caused... Um, a specialist come in and remove the tooth from a lion, and it was amazing. You mean just to observe the procedure, or? Yeah, I work there as a as a as a uh, kind of an IT person, so I recorded okay. it, uh, videotaped it, and uh, of course mask up and everything. But it was just absolute spectacular to use that knowledge on large animals and having the opportunity to work in a zoo. And to see that practice work, and there were just not only just the doctor there, uh, but you know several vet techs, and our actual veterinarian at the uh, the zoo at Lion Country Safari was a female. She was superb, uh, and it's amazing the uh, the the field tech industry, um, you know, especially with large animals. Great industry for people to go. Excellent. Well, thank right. you. Right. So. Just as an example, to follow up with that caller, is we have one of our graduates who graduated from our AS program decided to come back and go through our BAS program. She is an ophthalmology vet tech specialist. She works for an ophthalmology practice in South Florida, and she travels around the country with her veterinarian performing procedures to give sight back to animals, and she's working on all species. She's working on lions and bears and a lot of work on sea lions and things like that. Um, and she's monitoring the anesthesia on a sea lion so the veterinarian can perform this procedure to give the sight back to the sea lion. So it's really interesting the different areas that vet techs can go into yeah. with the knowledge that they learn in school. That's great. Well, that might be the perfect point at which to leave this because we have just about reached the end of our time. We're speaking with Tricia Gorham uh, from the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. You can go to spcollege.edu and uh, then search for the veterinary technology program to find out more about that and some of the stuff we've touched on and a lot of things we didn't get a chance to touch on and we missed some of the emails and some of the calls, but we did as many as we could. Tricia, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet.
In a moment, I'll speak with Spencer Conover, who is the Assistant Director of Pasco County Animal Services, describing a monthly event they organize which enables people on a first-come, 1st come basis to drive through a specific location, getting their pet vaccinated and chipped at no charge. The May drive through is already fully committed, but we'll hear details of the June version in just a moment so you can make your plans to participate. Right now, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner with a piece recognizing that we're in triple crown season with the Preakness running on Saturday. Here's Jim Gaffigan with part of a piece called Horses in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. We are a country that loves to bet on horses. Every spring we track the three races of the triple crown, and every spring I always have the same thought. We're still doing this? <laughs> Is Woodrow Wilson president? <laughs> But people love the Triple Crown, the Kentucky Derby, where people bet on horses while they're dressed like characters from Gone with the Wind. It's like prom for gamblers. Do you like my hat? I'm living in my sister's garage. Because I have a debilitating gambling addiction. Shall we have another mint julep? They always announce the winner of each race on the news. You can always tell the horse was named by a guy on his eighth wife. The horse is always named like, Viagra's Revenge. <laughs> Alimony be damned. <laughs> they show a picture of the winning horse on the news. They could show us a picture of any horse. We wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to do with that horse image. It's not like we're going to run into that horse in a bar. <laughs> Excuse me, did you win the Kentucky Derby? I did, I won the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> now I'm in a bar enjoying a Hefeweizen. <laughs> there is the classic photo of the winning horse, right? They're, they're always wearing that huge horseshoe wreath of flowers they stole from someone's gravesite. <laughs> Standing next to the winning horse is the owner of the horse who did not train the horse, did not ride the horse, and based on body language, has never really met the horse. <laughs> There the owner stands, looking like they've never paid taxes. <laughs> Sitting on top of the winning horse is the jockey who's dressed like he just came from a local pride parade. <laughs> there was interview the jockey expecting some insight. They're like, how'd you win? And the jockey's like, I whipped the horse and it ran. That was part of a piece called Horses in today's Comedy Corner. From Jim Gaffigan, taken from his album, Quality Time. Now it's time to speak with Spencer Conover, Assistant Director of Pasco County Animal Services, about their drive through vaccination and chip events they hold monthly, providing those services at no charge. This is Spencer Conover on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Spencer. Hey, good morning. How are you all doing today? Really great. Really great. How about you? I'm doing excellent. So happy to be on. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. So when did Pasco County Animal Services begin offering these uh, drive-through vaccination and chip events? Well, this is actually a really, really interesting story. Um, back during, the I'll be the judge of that, Spencer. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. You, you definitely will. Okay. Question. Um, we had a little stray dog come into our shelter. Um, really cute dog. Um, our, our standard stray hold here in Pasco County is 72 hours. So we hold him for three days in case anybody's looking for him. And after about yeah. six days, nobody had come looking for this little dog. And so um, we got him all spayed, spayed or neutered. I can't remember if it was a male or female. And vaccinated, microchipped, and we eventually adopted the little one. After about 12 days, uh, we had someone in the rescue community come forward and say, Hey, hey, I remember that stray dog you have. I found the owner. And unfortunately, um, you know, the little dog had already found a, a new adopter. And so, rightfully so, some of the, the, the community was a little upset. But a great thing came out of it. A couple of our rescue groups got together and said, hey, this is a really a crummy situation. How do we prevent this from happening in the future? And we all kind of collectively said, hey, if that dog came in with a microchip, 
it wouldn't even have come to the shelter. It would have went straight back to its owner. It would have been right on the animal control truck and right back to the owner. And so a couple of the rescue groups got together, and they wanted to be proactive about it. And so they, they, they donated $500 apiece. Uh, Pasco County matched that. So we collected about $2,000. And we started hosting these free uh, microchip clinics for the public. We've done uh, five of them so far. We've done cats and dogs. We've done them on the east side of the county, the west side of the county, to make sure we get our whole population of the community. And uh, we've, we've, vac- we've microchipped over 500 dogs uh, in our community over the last year and a half. Wow. Uh, compound onto that. Um, we've had some great partnerships, uh, one of which is with Petco Love, national organization, and they've been donating uh, vaccinations uh, lately. And so our veterinarians got together and said, hey, let's do another microchip clinic for the community. But... We want to go on top of that and do some uh, do some vaccinations for them as well. And so we've got donated vaccinations, microchips that our community has helped pay for, and it's helped keep a lot of people with their pets, which is a huge goal of ours. And the community is not necessarily adoption. It's preventing the animals from coming in at all and making sure they're staying in happy, healthy, loving homes. For sure. Well, this sounds great. Well, as I mentioned before you joined us, uh, the uh, the May one coming up this weekend is already full. Uh, I'm sure these are super popular and those uh, spaces probably uh, get snapped up quickly. So let's talk, before we uh, run out of time, let's talk about the one that's being held in June. Give us the details on that, if you would, Spencer. Absolutely. Like you said, these get these get snatched up really, really quick. We put a little press release out kind of telling people, hey, keep an eye out. And I would, I think within a couple of hours, all of the slots were filled. Now, luckily, keep an eye out. Keep an eye on our website. What's happened is because it's a free event, we put it out there a little while ago. Some people are dropping off. You know, hey, i got to go out of town. Hey, my pet's actually not, not ready. That's kind of scared, doesn't need to get a vaccination. Or I already got a microchip, which is great. We're getting those emails too. Hey, I went out early and I got a microchip on my own. So keep an eye. Some people are dropping out. But we try to do these as often as we can. We've held off a little bit, but we're doing another one June 25th out at the Dade City uh, Senior Center. One of our things that we have here in Pasco County is our animal services is not under the sheriff's office. It's not under code enforcement. It's not under fire rescue. We're actually under public services. So we're in the same branch of the government as libraries and parks and recreation and senior services. And so we get to partner with a lot of these great facilities across the county to make sure we're hitting all of our great population uh, of citizens, which is really cool. So the one on June 25th, it's going to be from 9 to noon at the Dade City Senior Center out in Dade City in Pasco County. Um, we're really excited to go back to the east side of the county. We've been running some studies recently here, and we know that a good, the, the highest percentage of animals that are coming to our shelter without identification are coming from that area. So by studying that and knowing that, we're really excited to get a microchip and vaccination clinic out in that area so we can get those pets chipped and licensed. One quick question, and we might be nearing the end of our time here, Spencer, but this just came in by email, and I think I already know the answer, but I think someone's asking, is it only for people in that specific county? Yeah, because absolutely. What a great question. Um, uh, yes, unfortunately, you know, the... the Folks that have donated to us, and the, uh, both nationally and locally, are donating to Pasco Pets. One yeah. thing I will say about that is we have partnered with a lot of great local organizations regionally. We have a regional um, shelter organization, and I'll, because we're doing this, a lot of the other counties around us are also doing it. And so definitely reach out to your local municipality. If you live down in Tampa, Hillsborough County, they do these all the time as well. And so yeah. definitely reach out and look. These, these ones are just for our Pasco residents, but... Don't think, don't think it's not happening in your community. It probably is somewhere. Right. You just have to look around. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So lastly, uh, Spencer, is there any, um, either number or website, anything else you might want to give for people that are, that are you know, hearing about this or driving around may not be yeah, able to jot all the info down? And especially if they want to, like, get in on it and try to reserve a space. 
Of course, of course. Like you mentioned at the top, you know, we're doing these. We, we're doing one here on the west side of the county here in May, and we're doing another one in June. But like you said, we've already done five. We're trying to do these as often as we can, so there will be more. So keep an eye out. Our website is www.mypasco.net slash PAS, Pasco Animal Services. Right on there, you can definitely make a reservation or an appointment for one of these. A flip side of that is, we also host two vaccination clinics at our shelter every Tuesday and every Thursday, and they're extremely affordable. Microchip implants only $15, a rabies shot's only 10 bucks, and for $25, you can get all of that done right at our shelter, and appointments are available for that as well. All right. Well, I think we got all the details, and everybody in Pasco County can, uh, can uh, jump on that and uh, plan for that for June 25th in Dade City. So, Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. I bet. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Huber with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is the prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering, as I mentioned earlier, a pair of tickets to see Laney Jones tonight at Hoochin' Hive in Tampa. Uh, again, celebrating the release of her wonderful new album, Stories Up High. Again, we had her on the show last week. Great animal person ra- raised with uh, kangaroos and wallabies and stuff. But more to the point, great music. So the first person calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. We'll get tickets to see Lainey Jones at Hoochin' Hive tonight. That's Wednesday tonight, the 18th. It's named an animal tune. I'm Talking Animals on WMNF. Okay, we will take that guest off the air if you happen to be able to name that animal team because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday for another edition of the show. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too, as well as other podcast platforms. Links to our social media pages and more. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. And we'll see you next Wednesday here at 11 a.m. on Talking Animals. Thanks.